Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and man, oh man, that national title game was everything I wanted from Georgia and Alabama in the last college football game we will have until August. That was one of the most entertaining college football games I've watched in a long time, easily the best college football playoff national championship game. There have been better national championship games. Nebraska-Miami in the 80s, uh, Texas-USC, of course, in 2005. Um, The Florida State-Auburn national title game was particularly good. The Auburn-Oregon one, very good. But in this college football playoff era, easily the best game. And I'll be honest, getting... Everybody getting to pile on Alabama is one of the fun things in sports. It is fun when the dynastic team loses in a big game. It is fun when everybody else gets to pile on the team that usually does the piling on. And I say that full well knowing I picked Alabama yesterday. I bet on Alabama today. I The rationale I had was very straightforward. If I lose my money betting with the best college football coach of all time, I can live with that. I could not live with betting on Kirby Smart in one of these spots again and Georgia falling flat on its face and fucking up and me losing my money on betting Kirby, betting on Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett. I'm glad I was wrong. Like I said in the last part of yesterday's show, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Georgia does win. I picked Georgia to win the national title before the season started. I'm very, very content with the way this season went. I... Do have my criticisms of what Kirby and Georgia have done in this period where they've gotten up to Alabama's level in terms of talent but hadn't won until tonight. I'm sa- oh, tonight. It's Tuesday now. I stayed up late recording with my fabulous guest, Gabriella Carroll of the Daily Northwestern, one of my very good friends, to talk about the game and about college football go- the season in general, tying a bow on the 2021-2022 college football season. It's pretty late. We talked and we bullshitted as football people do but before i get to today's show with gabriella i do have to remind everyone to help support the show very straightforward please subscribe to the show whatever platform you like to use whether it be apple podcast spotify soundcloud stitcher google play whatever podcasting platform you use the show is available there please subscribe if you're using apple Podcasts or spotify please leave a review the reviews help immensely on apple podcasts you go to the show's page, you scroll past our recent episodes, you go to the bottom, five empty purple stars, you tap the one furthest to the right, that's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button that says write a review with purple letters. Leave a few words, please. Reviews and subscriptions help. Those are tangible numbers, things I can use to show potential employers or advertisers. Hey, people interact with this. You should give me money so I can get more people to interact with this. That That's the whole reason you got to subscribe and unsubscribe and resubscribe and leave reviews. That shit helps your content creators out. So let's talk a little bit about the game itself before I get into the conversation with Gabriella. Number one. That was some fast football Everybody on that field was flying around out there. The linebackers and the defensive backs, heat-seeking missiles. Will Anderson, the Alabama edge rusher, 
could be in the NFL this weekend and he would not be out of place. That man still has another year of eligibility and he is going to be a wrecker at the next level. And I enjoyed when the game resembled Purdue-Northwestern in the first half, 9-6 at the half. I very much enjoyed the strategic aspects of this. There were genuinely... There was a very cautious tenor to the game in the first half where both teams, not trying to do too much, don't need to do anything crazy. There wasn't aggressive pushing down the field. There wasn't any concerted attempt to use any gimmicky plays. Uh, I thought that type of game would favor Alabama because I expected Stetson Bennett to make a mistake, which he did. The, the fumble in the second half that directly led to the Alabama touchdown was egregious. It's the kind of nail, it's the kind of kicking yourself in the dick thing that Georgia's been uh, historically known for doing. I mean, there's a reason Georgia hasn't won a national title for between now, 1980 and now. Uh, 1980 was a very long time ago, and it took Georgia 42 years to win a title for a reason. And when Bennett fumbled that ball and then Alabama came down and scored, I thought that was the game. I genuinely thought, well, this was a nice story. And then Bennett was great down the stretch. After the fumble, threw some really nice balls, threw the touchdown. Threw... Then on the play where Brock Bauer scored the touchdown, that was one of the few times in any of the Stetson Bennett games I've watched over the last two years where I genuinely thought, wow, that was a really good read because he has a pass rusher screaming off the edge at him and he realizes that because somebody's coming off the edge at him, his tight end is going to be open over there. And he floats the ball over the pass rusher, gets it to Bowers, and Bauer goes into the end zone untouched. And Brock Bowers just, God, that guy's going to be great at the NFL level. I can't wait to see. Too bad that's two years away. Okay. This is a longer-than-usual intro, but I did want to talk a little bit about the game on my own before I talked with Gabby. One of the things that I really was waiting for was I wanted to see how Georgia would find points because in this game, Georgia was behind the sticks a lot. A lot of sloppiness, a lot of pre-snap penalties, a lot of bad, lazy penalties, things like hands to the face, roughing the passers in unopportune times that... Georgia was lucky to overcome, I'll be honest with you. Those free yards, they add up, especially against a good team like Alabama. But Georgia found a way. They hit a few big plays. The James Cook run is the play that swung the game, in my opinion. That was the first time we really saw Georgia move the ball with any real frequency. I mean, in the first half, Georgia could not move the ball. They really had a hard time. All their points only being field goals spoke well to that. The James Cook run was beautifully done he hit the one cut and he got to that second level got into space and was gone James Cook going to be a problem at the NFL level he is not going to get drafted that highly but that guy is fast guy can make guys miss and I'm very excited to hopefully end up with him in a fantasy league and get to pretend I'm smarter than everybody else because I remembered him I'll eat my crow I picked Alabama I thought Alabama would win I didn't think Stetson Bennett would be good enough, but he made the plays flat out. He made the plays. I thought Alabama's offense, once Jamison Williams went out, was very blah. They couldn't move the ball that well. Their receivers 
couldn't make contested catches. Their receivers couldn't get open, had quite a few drops. Uh, the play before Bryce Young threw the interception, that the pick six that ended the game essentially, he hit his receiver in the uh, in the hands, and his receiver just didn't catch the ball. If that's Jamison Williams or John Mechie, I, I reason to believe that's an Alabama touchdown because he hits him in stride and he's gone. Okay, that's enough of me preambling. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Gabriella. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop. Biggest third down in Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at 4. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. And with that, I welcome on... One of my very good friends, I can say that now, because we went to two Jet games like Psychopaths in December and January, and we didn't freeze to death, and she writes at the Daily Northwestern, and one of my favorite people at the moment. How are we doing, Gabby? We're doing good. We're doing good. Um, back together after having seen, again, multiple Jets games, but in like 50 degree weather, even though it was kind of secretly cold, but it was still, we're back. We're back, even though I'm back in Chicago, so. Yes. Yes, we got to get this in. One of the very few, we got to get in this time, one of the very few other people who has the football brainworm to the degree I do, which is why I asked you to come on to talk about the national title game, because one, I knew you would be up late because you're a fellow insomniac, and two, I actually want to riff on this a little bit because that was actually a really good game for once. I, I know we were talking about it when we were at the Buck, the Jets-Bucks game was, it's been a while since we've had a good national title game, the last one being Georgia-Alabama, the previous three all turning into routes pretty quick. Just impressions of the game. That that was fun. We're on a good 24 hours of football. The NFL football yesterday was great. Sunday Night Football was awesome, and this game was awesome down till that last Alabama pick six. It was a really fun game. Sunday Night Football had a very disappointing ending last night, but yeah. everything else has been really good. Um, yeah. Very Big Ten West of this game, which we love to see. Um, very little offense in the first, which is interesting. I don't know. Not that I was expecting a ton of offense from Stetson Bennett, but even though Georgia has a very good defense, I was expecting Bryce Young to be able to do a little bit more, and they really neutralized him and were able to limit him from doing much of anything, which was very impressive. Obviously, Alabama has a great offense. And then, like, without Mechie and, Willi- and Ben Williams getting hurt after that one big catch, like, that's a really tough situation. But it was a competitive game. And, like, that's all I was asking for. You know, like, Alabama blew Georgia out in the SEC championship. Like, I did not have high expectations for how competitive this team was going to be. And, like, there have been very few, like, competitive college football playoff games. Like, like this is, like, talked about incessantly, like, on social media. But it's been so bad recently. So it was good to have a game that, like, up until, like, the last minutes, like, you were genuinely, like, who is going to win? Like, what's going to happen? Like, that is a real rarity with the college football playoff. So I it was enjoyable. We had I had a good time watching. Um, as somebody who was a noted Big Ten West student and big 10 west fan like i'm all about it like let's make that happen so i was good to see i think good for georgia good to see a team that hasn't won a championship in like what 40 years win a championship i think obviously it it happens but alabama wins all these championships but it's for all of the like college football is broken whatever it's good to see a team that hasn't had an opportunity in a long time and hasn't 
won in a long time get a win. I think George is a very long suffering fan base and they've they had some, they've had they have some real scars man like i sent i sent you that blurb from seth emerson's column over the weekend the georgia fans in hope went to couples counseling after atlanta and if georgia doesn't win on monday night this is the end of fight end of relationship fight that you don't come back from and there was the at one point in this game when bennett has that fumble Alabama scores within three plays. As somebody on that Georgia sideline, you're looking at each other like, oh no, not again, in the same vein of the Red Sox in moments like this prior to 2004, the Cubs prior to 2016, where when you're in these games and you consistently have fatal flaws where just the game gets away from you a little bit too quickly on those plays. And Bennett never really looked comfortable aside from those two, three play action shots on the drive where they ended up scoring on the Bowers touchdown. He was never really particularly settled in there. They ran the ball better in the second half than the first half, which is something I was curious to see because we've seen teams like Georgia where if they can't run the ball effectively and they just force their game manager quarterback to throw more, that's not their game and they struggle and it was good to see them stick with the run and I think ultimately that James Cook run is what swung this game that was probably the single biggest play because up until that point Georgia had mustered up nothing on offense absolutely nothing and that James Cook run which was a weird play because it was in between the tackles on a counter and the guards went the other way and he made the one guy miss and he was gone 67 yards and that was the biggest play from scrimmage of the night I think other than that one throw over the top just really fun to have good football. There are so many games during the course of the college football season where we just, somebody gets massacred. I mean, Georgia played in a bunch of massacres this year. And one of the things I do want to touch on in a little bit is talking about Alabama, but in just terms of this game and what made it so entertaining, there's just so much talent on the field for both of these teams. I, I mean, that was really what stood out. And you said it at one point, this felt like a Big Ten West game. This is a Big Ten West game at like one and a half, two times speed because everybody's just flying around out there. It's true. It's like Iowa, except bump the talent levels up to like 10 on everything. So it's like you have like the offense that is like just good enough. And then the defense that is like generational instead of like the defense that's good and the offense that can't do a thing. And then that's George. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very interesting. One of the things I wanted to see was what Georgia was going to do on defense to stop Bryce Young from carving them up like they did in the SEC title game. And Jamison Williams going out is, I mean, he had 50-something yards on four catches when he got hurt and had to leave the game. And the play he got hurt on was, I think, Alabama's biggest play from scrimmage during the course of the game. And without him, you saw the problem. They could not win any contested catches and Georgia was starting to send heat later in the game you're sending five you're sending six and you're dropping and you're in man coverage because you're rushing those extra guys and those guys couldn't get open they without those guys getting open Bryce Young's job was difficult I mean he was making good throws I mean the play before the pick six that's a perfect throw the wide receiver just drops it and if the wide receiver catches that in stride that's a touchdown and Alabama's right back in it but Losing Jamison Williams, Mechie not even being able to play at all because he got hurt in the SEC title game. It's weird because like this Alabama team, it, it sounds weird to say that a team that could have won the national title with one touchdown, this is like the worst saving team of the college football playoff era, but it kind of feels like that to some degree. 
it's weird. I feel like that one team that ended up, I think, losing two games when Tua got hurt and like Mac Jones had to play, and then they ended up like in. I actually went to that game. I think they played in like the Citrus Bowl against Michigan a couple years. It was like 2019, yeah. like before the pandemic happened. I remember. It's hard to say that that was the worst Saban team because even though they had the worst record, like if you look at the talent they had, it was like Najee Harris, Jerry Judy, like Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, like Mac Jones. Like it was crazy. Yeah. And it's like, how is this the worst team? But then they have like the worst record, but that's like two losses. Yeah. I don't know. But like Jerry Judy absolutely obliterated the Michigan secondary in that game. Like it was absolutely terrible. But it was, I don't know. I obviously this is a great saving team. Like yeah. every saving team is great, like whatever. But I with when like without Mechie and then without Williams after that, it didn't seem like they had any other real options on offense. Like Brian Robinson is fine, but he's not like a, a game changer at running back. Like he's kind of just a placeholder that could have like been getting minutes on any FBS team, but like it's not like a stud in any way, like isn't going to change the game for you in like a Najee Harris or a Josh Jacobs or Derrick Henry type of way, obviously. And like, those are like fantastic NFL yeah. players. So like, that's a high bar, <laughs> yeah. but that just speaks like, to how good Alabama is. Yeah, exactly. Like it speaks to how good it is and how good you need to be. I feel like to win a championship, like you need to have those game changing players. And then without those game changing, like receivers who had been like building up that chemistry with Bryce Young over the course of the season and without a game changing running back, like they really didn't have a lot of options. And obviously Alabama has like five star guys everywhere, even like freshmen, but it's hard when you haven't really played together that much and they haven't gotten as much game action and you have these guys that have built this chemistry with him over time when you both don't have those receivers and you don't have like a running back that is like a game changer the way that some of those past running backs were it's hard to say that like this was like a really solid Nick Saban offense when like it was really just that Bryce Young is a much better quarterback than the type of quarterbacks that he's had before and like yeah. not to criticize like Tua or Jalen Hurts because like they seem like really nice people I like them a lot like I have been big fans of both of theirs but like Bryce Young has like a different level of arm talent compared yeah. to the two of them and like it's like on another it's it's crazy but he they both had significantly more talented receivers to play with and like that's not to criticize like Williams and Mechie like they're obviously really good but like they're not on the Devonte Smith level yet yeah. so I don't know and then they were both injured so like who yeah. is he playing with like these random Slay Bolden, man. Never, exactly Put some respect on Belichick Sl wide receiver <laughs> Hey man, we, we everybody spent six years making fun of Hunter Renfro at Clemson, and that guy's like the best slot receiver in the league right now. So, bro, I look. was one of them. <laughs> yeah, so, Camp. yeah, that's the thing. Too hard. You can't. That's the thing. Guys like Slade Bolden will end up in the NFL for seven years playing special teams and get on to a Patriots because Belichick is like, yeah, you want Saban will tell Belichick, yeah, you want this guy. You'll get him in the sixth round. He'll, he'll play special teams. He can occasionally chip in on offense, and he'll hang around the league forever. And that's what I thought Henry Renfro would be, was a special teams guy, punt returner, occasionally get on the field on offense. Now, that guy's just actually good now, which is very weird to say. Yeah. They didn't use Bolden as well in this game as yeah. they did in the Cincinnati game. I feel like he Definitely. was, like, utilized very well, and his, like, they were targeting him, his strengths. And I don't know. It just it never really felt like they were, like, they consider him to be a big threat in this game, which was weird because, like, who are you throwing to? Like, with Mechie out and Williams getting hurt early, like, he should be your primary option. And it never felt like they considered him that way because yeah. he was never getting, like, the volume of targets that it felt like he should have been, especially considering how well he did against Cincinnati. I don't know. 
Yeah. I was the, judging. The Alabama game plan, it kind of struck Bella me. Bill O'Brien, what were you doing? It, it struck me as weird because when they were aggressive, the plays were there. There were a few plays where either sticks, curls, comebacks, short things, intermediate things, eight, nine yards, where Bryce Young can just say, yeah, I have this good of an arm and the, the guy will get open. I'll hit him in the chest. We'll get seven yards. But instead, there's all these swing passes, the RPOs right at the line of scrimmage. And against everybody else, those RPOs at the line of scrimmage where the receiver has to make somebody miss are fine. But against this Georgia defense, the only team with as many good athletes as you, it just, it never felt like that offense got into a rhythm. And to be fair, neither of these offenses did. And I think that speaks to how good both of the defenses are, which I do think is one of the real takeaways you can have is you can still have a good defense. You don't need to be LSU hang 50 every game or last year's Alabama team hang 50 every game. You can win with defense. You can only score 35 points a game and win. You don't need to be you don't need to be basketball on turf. You don't need to be the Big 12. You can still have a pretty good defense and a solid offense as opposed to having an all-world offense. But I do think it's a lot easier to have a good offense than it is a good defense the way the sport is now. Yeah, I agree. I think more teams are able to scheme a competent offense. And like, as somebody who's watched the Big Ten, Big Ten teams are not able to scheme competent offenses. But like, if you look at like the SEC or especially the Big 12, and I think like with Lincoln Riley going to the Pac-12, like we're going to see a little bit more with the Pac-12. And like Utah obviously was great in the Rose Bowl. But I think like if you air it out a little bit more and have like competent talent at receiver, you can make something happen offensively and like have something that's more dynamic and like with the air raid with like what Mike Leach was doing at Washington state and Texas tech and whatever, like you don't need like this a top, top, top talent to like have an offense that can sling it and score points. I think like defense, it's more, you need to have guys that can like be big in the trenches and like really make an impact as opposed, which not a lot of teams like have that level of quality and like the size that is necessary to make that big impact. And that is a lot about recruiting, but if you have guys that can run and are fast, like you can coach (laughs) them to catch the ball, like you can make it happen. And like, so I think it's easier to have a, like a competent offense that can throw, like if you look at Purdue, for instance, not to bring everything back to the big 10 West, but like Purdue is a team that's been able to have like a really competent offense because they just have these really, really fast wide receivers and a quarterback that is willing to throw on almost every possession. Like, they're running like very basic plays, like watching them, like they're doing pretty simple things, but like Rhonda Moore, David Bell, Milton Wright are just so fast that they're able to outrun like pretty much anybody in the big 10 and they can score a lot of points. Their defense yeah. is like meh, but they make it work. They can get to like seven and five, eight and four, because like they can outscore people because nobody in the big 10 can score any points. Yeah. But I think it's like, if you have guys that are fast, like you can make it work. And it's like, pretty not to say it's easy to find guys that are fast but like there are a lot of guys out there that are fast even if they're undersized that might be under recruited and you can like make use of that and I think that's something Purdue has done really well but having a competent offense you need like just bigger athletic play I mean a competent defense you need like bigger athletic players and those guys are harder to find and are very heavily recruited as opposed to like if you have an undersized wide receiver like you can make a good use of that talent at a smaller school 
one thing you and I were talking about before and talking about during the course of the game is that there are going to be the wrong takeaways from watching this, that there are going to be think pieces about not counting out quarterbacks, not being only about how many stars a guy had as a recruit, not worrying so much about their talent, but more worrying about the intangibles, the things they can bring to the position. I mean, I already know the Stetson Bennett discourse is going to fry my brain in the same way that the Brandon Staley discourse has fried my brain, that anybody over the age of 30 thinks Brandon Staley is a moron and that it's awesome that Stetson Bennett won a national title. But this is an outlier. Not every team is going to be able to have an all-time great defense and be able to win a national title with a game manager quarterback. It's just, it's not a replicable formula in a way that we've seen some teams try and copy what Clemson has done, where they really heavily recruited defensive linemen and really tried to emphasize the line of scrimmage or what Georgia's done now, where they've tried to make an Alabama light type of team and Ohio state has tried to make an sec team in the big 10. I don't think what Georgia did is as replicable as we've seen from other serious contenders because being honest what Alabama does isn't replicable but Georgia has come pretty close I mean when Georgia wins six more titles over the next 15 years we can talk about them being in the same tier but realistically I don't think this Georgia team is something everybody should be holding this is what we should be doing because this isn't replicable. This isn't something that happens every day. This is a rare group of talent. I mean, that Georgia defense has four, five guys who are probably going to get drafted this year. There's not a lot of teams that put five guys into the NFL from one season. Yeah, I agree with you. I think generally I feel like college teams should not be trying to emulate other teams that have had success aside from like, have a good offense you know like I I I get it but it feels like the way that you're going to have the most success is by tailoring the team that you like the scheme that you're running to the talent that you have and like teams with less talent do not have like the ability to just oh yeah we're going to have a great defense like we're going to make it work like no like no that's not going to work for you like I think that this team was like, like you said, they have so much defensive talent and so many players. I don't even think they are going to be able to replicate it because of like the level of talent that they had here. Like N'Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis, like all of those guys are leaving and are going to get drafted and all of that. And that's, that's great. Like that they were able to put this group together and win a championship with the group that they have. But I with lesser talent which is inevitably going to happen because this is like one of the all-time great college football defenses I just don't see and especially with like Dan Lanning leaving I obviously don't really know like we don't know how the new defensive coordinator is going to do I'm suspicious I'm suspicious that they'll be able to replicate it I'm suspicious that any other team would be able to replicate it and I hope that Kirby Smart has the right takeaways from this game because not to criticize like Stetson Bennett too much because he won obviously, but this is still the same guy that passed on having Justin Fields on the team in order to start Jake from for multiple years. Yes. And like, come on, come on, bro. Like that, that can't be the takeaway. And they, if this Georgia team can get like, and they have quality receiving targets. Brock Bowers has to be there for two more years. Yes. They had George Pickens there this year. Like they can recruit like top offensive talent. I I find it impossible to believe that they can't get a quarterback that is better than Stetson Bennett to play for them. So. 
training wheels is the way I would describe what they do with Georgia's offense, where they don't want them doing anything too crazy. I mean, they broke out the flea flicker, which was in an intentional grounding, and they ran that reverse to um, McConkie, where he got tackled five yards behind the line of scrimmage. And that was really it in terms of creativity. It was very much, we're going to run our slants on third and shorts, and they picked those up. Those were good reads. He was able to identify where the ball needed to go. Good outside the numbers plays. They had a couple of outs that worked. They had a couple corners that worked. But while you were talking, it kind of hit me. We see what the bad version of what Georgia did every single season. We see it in Iowa. We see it in Wisconsin. We see it in the Big Ten West mostly. But load up, load up on physical offensive linemen, fast edge rushers, try and control the line of scrimmage, game manager quarterback, good defense. We see what the bad version of this is, and there's a very clear reason that the Wisconsins, the Iowas, that tier of team can't break through when they're playing, when they have to go through Ohio State, or in in this year's case, Michigan, in the Big Ten title game. But I just don't... We'll put a pin in it, because we'll sit here complaining about old people being stupid for a while. One of the things I do want to touch on is opening it up a little bit more big picture. What are you going to remember from this college football season? Because there were a few things I thought of during the course of this game, because I don't know what it was about this year in particular that I just enjoyed the season more. I like, I really enjoyed college football last year and maybe the most I ever had at any point, but I feel like even more so this year, I think the chaos really helped, but in your mind, what stands out? Um. I would be lying if I said that the Michigan-Ohio State game didn't stand out because I was there in person, and that is, like, one of the best college football experiences I have ever had in my life. Such a great game, a great – I was there in – it was an amazing environment. Um, But I think, yeah, there's a lot of criticism towards the, like, basic bowls, the, like, random ones with random teams. But honestly, I feel like we got such great bowl games this year. There were so many good ones, even outside of like the New Year's Six. And some like a lot of the New Year's Six games were good, like Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, like the Pitt, Michigan State one was good. The Rose Bowl was obviously amazing. But like the Music City Bowl was great. The Cheez It Bowl was great. Coastal in Northern Illinois, like that was an awesome game. Like there were so many really good matchups. And I think it was just very enjoyable. Obviously, Illinois Penn State stands out as an <laughs> iconic moment in the history of college football. Uh, that game was absolutely ridiculous in so many ways. I was watching that because I was at the Michigan Northwestern game that day in the Michigan press box with my friends. And we were like, this is absolutely unhinged. Like, what is happening here? As they went to the eighth and the ninth overtime, it was just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of chaos. There were a lot of really good games. It's kind of Georgia winning. I'm not going to say it was a fitting ending, but like at least it wasn't Alabama. And yes. a team won that has not won in a long time and sort of deserves like the chaos of this season. Obviously it would have been more chaotic if like, I don't know, Iowa had won. I'm oh, if Iowa always won an Iowa guy yes. or Cincinnati or something. Yes. Not that that was ever going to happen, but like. That's one of the, love to see it. That's one of the things I do think college football media needs to get better with is just the constant complaining about everything. These are the power structures that have been in college football since its inception. The teams that are the best teams will change over time. 
but there is no way to manufacture more competitiveness. Adding more teams to the playoff does not do that. Getting rid of bowl games does not help that. There is no way to make college football more competitive short of restricting the number of scholarships your schools are allowed to give. I, uh, I'm so tired of the same five talking points that college football media does every single year, whether it be on game day where it's the, the opting out of the bowl games, they don't love football crap, or the there's too many bowl games, all of this stuff. It's football. It's a game. Watch it. Have fun. Football's supposed to be fun. That's that's the point. Like, yeah, there are some things we should be addressing. Yes, it's good that the athletes are getting compensated now. That is good progress that bitching actually led to. But getting rid of bowl games doesn't fix anything. That that doesn't help anyone. Uh, you really the bowl don't games want... are mostly good this year. Yeah, <laughs> like like the Bahamas Bowl every single year is very entertaining. There's a Myrtle Beach Bowl now, and they get to play on the teal turf. There, we have fun. The Purdue Tennessee game, which apparently Tennessee won, according to Paul Feinbaum, but just it's supposed to be fun. Let's enjoy it. You only get college football four and a half months out of the twelve in the year. Like this is supposed. It's a game. This is a children's game. We're supposed to be enjoying it. It it can be beyond just. It's just so monotonous every single year, the same five talking points. Yeah, and it's where it gets to the point where looking at it now, not to say that college football expansion shouldn't happen or whatever, but the playoff expansion is really just like a backdoor way of getting people to not opt out of New Year's yes. Six Bowl games. And like, maybe that would be fun. I don't know. But, and like the college football playoff is generally like a boring television product anyway. Yes. So I understand why ESPN is like talking about it. But it feels like instead of talking about how can we improve the playoff or let's talk about the playoff or let's talk about the teams that aren't making the playoff and why we shouldn't have bowls anymore. Like they should just talk about the games that are actually happening and talk about college football for all of the chaos that it is. It's not. Yeah. It's not just about the playoff and the teams in the playoff. There, there are great stories. Kentucky's won six straight New Year's six bowl games. Why aren't we talking about Mark Stoops? Florida got a new head coach. They got an entire staff of assistants of NFL guys with NFL experience. That's exciting. Ole Miss's quarterback said, fuck it, I'm going to play in the bowl game because I love my teammates. Got hurt, and it was still like, yeah, I would do it again if you asked me if I wanted to do it again. The people are what makes it interesting. Yes, the winning – win it – the talking heads have broken sports discourse forever because everybody's defined by their championships and that doesn't work for college football there are 130 fbs teams and every single year maybe three have a realistic chance of winning a national title let's not invalidate the other 127 fbs teams here there are really good teams out there like you were talking about before with purdue the average college football fan might see Purdue once or twice a year when they're playing in Ohio State, a Michigan, a Penn State, or in their bowl game. Purdue is fun to watch every single year. Iowa is an atrocity to the game of football, but their games just have a chaos factor because all it takes is one Spencer Petras pick six and the entire game changes. And you're right that you're right back like going into the Purdue Iowa game this year when Iowa was ranked second in the country and everybody's like Purdue's going to give them a hard time. This is exactly the kind of game that Purdue wins every single year. And those crazy bastards did it. Jeff Brom and those crazy bastards from Purdue said, all right, all right, Spencer Petrus, you only want to throw 15 times in four quarters. We're going to win this game. 
there's so much interesting thing. And one of the things in here we could part of the problem is it's just so regional that because the SEC has such a stranglehold on pretty much everything in college football, but it's pretty much all that gets talked about them, Clemson, Ohio State, occasionally Texas and Oklahoma when those teams are relevant. But there's so much untapped potential out there for interesting things from a content perspective in college football that I just want to see be embraced more. Like, why isn't the FCS title game part of this buildup to the national title game? Like, that should be in, on primetime during the week leading up to the national title game. There should be bowl games between New Year's Day and the national title game. These are all easy things we can do to make the conversation about football. We don't just have to talk about championships and the transfer portal and entitlement and all the culture war nonsense. That's really what that's really my biggest gripe is that this is culture war nonsense and it's not about football. That's why the talking head stuff gets tiring. But those are two things we can do right there that will help this. Put games in between the New Year's Six and um, the national title game. Make the FCS title game a bigger deal. Those that's entertaining. North Dakota State is amazing every single year. There are tangible ways we can make this better for everybody. And nobody wants to do it. They just want to complain. No, it's terrible. Like Bailey Zappi at uh, Western Kentucky set <laughs> yeah. the FBS touchdowns record. Like the beat the Joe Burrow touchdown record. And you wouldn't have even known if you didn't watch the specific game in which he had done so. Like yeah. nobody was talking about him at all whatsoever. And like, I get it. He plays for a group of five team, whatever. Nobody's paying attention. But it's like, this is the stuff that makes college football, college football, like the random teams. There are so many teams and it is so hyper-regional. And I feel like, like you're saying, a lot of it is just comes down to like the Alabama and the Georgia and the SEC of it all. And like, maybe Ohio State or Clemson or Notre Dame will get like a little bit, but there are so many fan bases who are passionate about college football and love college football. And also so many teams that are doing exciting and interesting things and so many players that are doing exciting and interesting things. And the only stories that you hear are like the sad, depressing backstories of the players on said championship teams that are playing on college game day. And I don't know, it just, it's a disservice to both the players in college football to only broadcast those things and to just college football media in general, because by only talking about the college football playoff, like ESPN and college football media is presenting the image that the college football playoff is the only thing that matters. And then they're like, why does nobody want to play in a bowl game? Yeah. Like, why does nobody want to play in the Rose bowl? And it's like, People cared about the Rose Bowl. People still do care about the Rose Bowl, but people really, really cared about the Rose Bowl. And the fact that you are focusing so much on like the, oh, is Alabama or Georgia going to make the college football playoff? Like what's going to happen when Cincinnati and Alabama play in the college football playoff? Like who cares? We're watching a different game. Like talk to me about what's in front of me. Like I don't need to hear about this all the time. Like there's only so much that you can say. Like you were saying, there's 130 FBS teams. There are so many more FCS teams. Like there has to be something else that you can fill the runtime with. Most people don't care until maybe the week where the rankings are made, who is going to make the college football playoff. Like it's really not relevant up until then. And there are like so many interesting storylines and by continuously focusing on like, so who's going to be in the college football playoff rankings? Like let's talk about what the college football playoff matchups might be before it actually happens. 
it's like, it's putting forth that narrative that this is the only thing that matters. And like, I don't think that the people at, obviously the people at ESPN have a vested interest in making that yeah. the case, but like as the major face in sports for them to be like, oh, why does nobody care about the Bulls? Why are people opting out? While they continue to focus on how the college football playoff is the only thing that matters. And if you don't make it to the playoff, your season is a failure, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like, ridiculous to me. Like, think about what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky. is nothing short of miraculous. Making a viable eight-win team every single year in the SEC East at a program that does not have a decorated history, that doesn't have the resources of the other teams in their division. I mean, that's probably the fourth biggest, fifth biggest program in that division of the SEC. I mean, Florida has more money. Georgia has more money. Tennessee has more money. And Kentucky is consistently competitive where they hang around against significantly better teams every single year. That is something to talk about. Texas A&M pulled off one of the biggest recruiting coups of all time this year where they got the number one recruiting class for, I think, the first time in the history of their program. These are all very exciting things. And we're what are we talking about? Is Jim Harbaugh going to go to the NFL? Like, come on, man. There's so much to talk about. and It's just not relevant at all. That's the yeah. thing. Like, if we talk about, oh, like, will Jim Harbaugh go to the Raiders? Will he play – will he coach the Bears next season? Like, why does that matter? Like, if he coaches in the NFL, so what? Like, that is not – like – the sport of college football to talk about oh which coaching job should he take like the Raiders yeah. the Bears who cares like that's not the point of the sport like yeah. it doesn't make any sense I just they're going off of the big names and like the big programs and I get it like we're trying to make money whatever but it like people are bored and it shows yeah. by like the declining ranking like the declining ratings for all of these shows like nobody wants to see this anymore yeah People aren't interested by what they're like trying to sell to us, you know? And it's like the continue focus on like the SEC, whatever. Like a lot of the top rated games are like Big Ten games. Yeah. Right? The Obviously, Big Ten. like Fox is whatever. But like honestly, the Big Ten has like the biggest, like probably some of the biggest fan bases in the entire yeah. whatever. And they're like, you know what? Like the Big Ten ain't shit, like compared to the SEC. And it's like, you really want to be like criticizing like your biggest your biggest audience like yeah. if we look at it like Notre Dame Michigan Ohio State Michigan State Penn State like these are those four teams are like bigger like fan bases than probably a lot of the teams in the SEC yeah. and it's like oh let's just talk about the SEC a little bit more and how the SEC is so much better than everybody else and it's like I'm not saying that like obviously the top teams in the SEC are better than a lot of the other teams but it's like if we just focus on like the SEC teams like is Florida really worth like conversing about and on a higher level than like Penn State? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I get what you're saying. I, I definitely agree with you. Okay, so keeping the conversation the moving. Is there. <laughs> in this essay, I will. I, I completely agree. And I completely. There's a thought. Agree. There's a thought. It's not a fleshed out thought, but there was a thought. <laughs> That, that's the whole point of podcasts is just people just talking, whatever comes to mind. You, I mean, I have notes here, but I haven't looked at them in a while because I mostly have game notes, but we're on from the game. So looking forward to next year. Number one, we have to talk about Michigan because you are the one Michigan fan I know in my existence. So number one, just... How awesome was it for Michigan to finally make the playoff, even though we just spent the last 10 minutes shitting on the playoff? I mean, 
it was nice for them to make the playoff. I'm not going to say that it wasn't like awesome to see Michigan in the playoff because obviously that's something I've been waiting to see like forever. But I think it was more like the journey to get to the playoff, obviously, like mm-hmm. defeating Ohio State, winning the Big Ten that was like so impactful as opposed to like getting blown out in the playoff. <laughs> but seriously, I think like it's kind of impossible to overstate like how big of an, like how important like beating Ohio state was for like Michigan fans everywhere. Michigan hasn't beaten Ohio state since I was like 10 years old. Like I was like so young when it happened the last time. And like, it was like, obviously it was cool to see Denard Robinson and everybody like beat a bad Ohio state team coached by Luke Fickle or whatever in the final minutes. But it was really cool to see both teams like at sort of the peak of their powers. Like even if Ohio state had the flu, CJ Stroud but like and see Michigan like come out of top on top in like a clear like decisive yes. victory there there was no controversy whatever that was an like, ass kicking that it was, was just Mich- Michigan outplaying Ohio State I think it was yeah. very cathartic and therapeutic for Michigan fans everywhere and then like obviously beating Iowa but like I was not was they had no offense like let's be real like that was just like the nice like oh we won the big 10 like it was good to get on the same level as the James Franklin Penn State era so that the yes. James Franklin Jim Harbaugh comparisons could end because functionally they are the same person. But Jim's a better coach than Frank. I mean, Franklin has the whole like, yeah, I had like nine wins at Vanderbilt thing, which probably will never happen again, like as long as we play college football. But maybe James Penn's- Franklin is actually an underrated coach because he managed to be successful at Vanderbilt. Like, we don't yes. talk about how impressive that achievement was. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like at Penn State, like they kind of Penn State thinks they're really um, Penn State thinks they are a better program than they are, which has been the problem for a long time. And they don't recruit like Ohio State. They don't recruit well. They've had a few good classes under Franklin, but they don't recruit on the level of an Ohio State, a Clemson, a Georgia, Alabama, yeah, even at even a Texas, where you watch. I do when, think, yeah. Now, when they no, play Ohio to... State, you see it. You see it. the offensive linemen are. I mean, the things Aiden Hutchinson did to Penn State's offensive line are unholy. I think Sean Clifford got sacked nine times in the Michigan game this year. Just got the absolute shit knocked out of him for four quarters because they cannot block, and Penn State doesn't get elite quarterbacks. Now they did recruit a five-star guy, Drew Aller, Drew Ayler, something like that, who in theory maybe he'll start in a year from now and we can talk about it then. But circling back, looking to next season, and before we started recording, we the the assumption is Alabama will be back. More or less, barring Nick Saban deciding he's retiring, Alabama will be back. Ohio State probably will be back. Do you think, before we get there, do you think Harbaugh goes to the NFL first or do you think he stays? That just gut instinct, obviously, you don't know. What do you think? I kind of like there's too much smoke around it now for it not to be somewhat legitimate. I think it was easy at the beginning to kind of dismiss it as like, he's not going to. This happens every year. Like, people talk about it. But then at the same time with the Raiders making the playoffs, like if they make a significant run, I that it seems like the job is the job that he wants. And if they make a significant run in the playoffs, I I mean, I don't know if they would fire their coach or whatever. I don't know. It seems like there's at least a mutual interest. So I would yes. say I would lean that he would leave just based on all of like, it seems like there is a lot of interest, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up okay. staying or leaving at this point. I would say probably 70-30 he leaves but i wouldn't be surprised with either outcome okay 
So looking to next season, one of the things I always like to do after recapping, last year after the national title game when Alabama murdered Ohio State, I my final four was Georgia, Ole Miss, Iowa, and Iowa State. I got one for four in the playoff correct this year. So I, And I picked Georgia to win the national title last year as soon as the season was over. So I got that on my hat, even though I lost my legal U.S. currency betting on Alabama tonight. I was hedging. I wanted to be, I wanted to make sure either I was smart and right or I made a few bucks. So we, we, we went 500 tonight. So if you had to pick four teams, just pure conjecture, four teams to make the playoff right now, the day, not even the day, an hour after the national title game, who would the four teams pick? Okay, I'll go with Alabama. Okay. Ohio State. Okay. USC. Ooh. And Baylor. Dave Aranda. I I mean, the Big 12 is functionally the easiest path to the playoff right now and once Texas and Oklahoma leave, that'll definitely be true. That that'll be the easiest path. I mean, all Baylor and Oklahoma State have to do is beat BYU. I mean, BYU can actually be a a threat in that conference based on the type of teams BYU builds, but Baylor. If Luke USC, Fickle stays at Cincinnati, I think that Cincinnati will. I don't know when they're joining. I don't think it's next year, but in the future, I think. But I, that's a good point. I forgot about that. Yeah, and if he stays, yeah. I don't see him leaving at this point, honestly. I think he was holding out for either Notre Dame or Ohio State, and I don't think either of those jobs is opening up anytime soon. So. See, I think Day is going to go to the league. I think Ryan Day is that kind of person where he's going to say. I, if they win a national title, I could definitely see him being like, okay, I'm done here. I can go to the next step. And yeah, Fickle seems like he's got to stay in the Midwest. I can't see him going anywhere else, really. If he wasn't such a, a stout, like, I want to, I am an Ohio State alum. I was an Ohio State <laughs> player. I was an Ohio State coach. I would say, like, if the Michigan job opens, like, he would take it, but there's no way that happens. So. Yeah. otherwise like it seems like he's waiting on one of those two jobs and Notre Dame just opened and they didn't pick him so that would be my hypothesis but I would say those are the four teams that I'm going with I don't know how accurate they are but I don't know I liked what I saw out of Baylor's like backup freshman quarterback that they played yeah. in that championship game for a couple minutes there obviously his arm like came off halfway through and that he couldn't <laughs> throw but for a, for a minute he was pretty good like yeah that was a great Big 12 title game, Oklahoma State-Baylor. That was a really – college football is the fucking best, man. Like, neither of those teams even matters now in the context of the college football playoff. But, God, that was a great game. That was just that was really awesome fun. Game. Came down to inches. Okay, last question I have before I get you out of here so I can go edit this. What was the most Wait, fun... what were your four teams? Oh, yeah, that's a good this question. Year. You didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah okay. Bama-Ohio State – I can't believe I'm about to go down with the ship, but Clemson. And I think it, you know what? I'm going to do it. Texas. <laughs> Texas. Sark, no. Sark got 35 new scholarship athletes on that team. Texas. Texas can win the Big 12 next year. Texas can win the Big 12 next year. They got a bazillion when dollars. When you were Xavier Worthy, let's talk yeah. about it. Texas has a bazillion dollars of NIL money to poach offensive linemen. Uh, the, I mean, they've had a bazillion dollars to poach people for decades. Ever, yes. And... <laughs> it's, be, it's being used so Charlie Strong can be a quality Now control. it's legal. Yes, yes. That, that's the other, uh, the whole, the NIL. So it, who, who cares? Is this any different from everybody on Alabama driving challengers and escalades? Not really. Nope. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. 
who cares? Well, people really wanted a challenger in the first place, right? And now they can use their money for something they actually want. Yeah, that's one of the funnier things. And like, we got fun shit, like the, the Kansas tight end who did the Applebee's commercial. That was hysterical. That was legendary. Easily a top five moment of the college football season. The, the Texas-Kansas game was just otherworldly. Kansas-Oklahoma, where Kansas just opened the stadium and said, anybody who wants to come in can come in. You don't need they a ticket. They were like, please come. Like, you don't need a ticket. That was incredible. Uh, Oklahoma was funny this year. Oklahoma was a big sicko team. Uh, I'd be remiss if we, we did a college football season recap episode without discussing our beloved Nebraska Cornhuskers for a second, the best three and nine team. Best three and nine time. team in history. Like Nebraska could have been in the Big Ten title game if they got Competent any bounces. Special teams. Yeah, special League teams. average special teams. Yeah, yeah. No, their special teams were so bad. Like it, it was just atrocious. And I see all games. of these new hires from Scott Frost, yet no special teams coordinator. <laughs> Let's talk about it, Scott. And one Let's of the and like special teams is like so simple. And like I, I feel like everybody thinks this, like, yeah, I could co- like special teams is just keep everybody in front of you. Don't hit the guy trying to catch the ball on punts. Like it's it really should be. The Michigan be this hard. State punt return was inexcusable. <laughs> it was atrocious. Yeah. Yeah. Just dear it's God. So bad. And all of the oh, chances. Yeah all of the chances they had like they took oklahoma to the wire and that was before we realized oklahoma were frauds but like it's been they a very took weird... everybody to the wire but could never beat anyone because yes. of their absolutely terrible special teams like not solely because of their terrible special teams but their terrible special teams did not help their cause whatsoever and I'm thinking about it, just some of the things like Dan Mullen getting fired midseason after signing a new extension in the middle of the summer to get like a massive pay raise. And then midway through the year, just being like recruiting. I'll worry about that when it's time for recruiting. Right now, we got to win some football games and like just pouring gasoline. Respect on the his fire. attitude, but he simply does not want to be a college football coach. No, he, he doesn't. And you can tell, I mean, he, there is an alternate universe where he is head coach of the Jets right now because he did interview for the Jets job last offseason and there's a world oh where, you have, where you have dan mullen and zach wilson in your life you know what he probably would not have been as bad an nfl head coach as he I is th- a college coach because he doesn't he just doesn't want to recruit not yes. that he would have been good because I, who, what jets head coaches are good anyway like let's be real like but oh it would have been so bad it would have been so bad See, I enjoy the ones where you know it's going to be a colossal failure as soon as the person is hired. Like, you know, like, we all saw the pictures of him getting off of the private jet in Jacksonville (laughs) to get into the SUV. And every single person is like, this is a horrendous idea. This is not going to work. Just, it's not. There was no universe in which Urban Meyer was going to be a successful NFL head coach. Like, this man cannot handle losing. And you're like, he's going to coach a, what, one in 15 football team no shot that was never gonna work like horrible 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 uh and then there's penn state giving james franklin mel tucker money there's michigan state giving mel tucker mel tucker money it's been a insane season i'm curious how mel tucker is gonna do when he doesn't have kenneth all the poor not that like 
Kenneth yeah. Walker, not that he's not a good coach, but it does feel like when Kenneth Walker was kind of neutralized, his offense wasn't very good. And yeah. he sort of had to rely on some other things. And obviously the past defense, ah! so <laughs> terrible. Yeah. So like, I think he's a good coach, but I'm just curious to see what happens. Cause obviously he like really struggled with Mel Tuck with Kenneth Walker on the transfer portal, but without him, which she's obviously not going to have him next year. So it should be interesting because they so, gave him $5 million in a pretty much buyout-proof contract. <laughs> just because he beat Michigan once. Well, twice, but... Well, yeah, yeah, last year, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about in the context of Michigan State being good. But okay. It's true, aside, it's true. Aside from being at the Michigan-Ohio State game, which is obviously the answer, what was your single favorite college football game this year watching? Because there's a few in my mind, but I'm curious what you have to say. Um, are you gonna say like Texas bowling? Texas was a good one. I bowling Green Minnesota, Minnesota was Minnesota. also a good one. <laughs> that was really fun. My dad went to Bowling Green, so it was just a really fun experience. And like Bowling Green had Tanner Morgan in hell. That man was fighting for his life against Bowling Green. Like this is one of the worst teams in FBS football. Like no lie they are terrible yeah they're in the and bottom 10 of the 130 they are in the 120s of the 130 in the power index. i know like they are atrocious and they had tara morgan in hell it was Min- so funny and, and it was Minnesota the week team. prior that minnesota team was good like yeah, they were eight it just made no, it made no it sense made no sense at all and like the week prior so my dad is from Toledo he went to Bowling Green for undergrad and he did like a semester at Toledo in undergrad and then dropped out it was a complicated situation but then he did his grad degree at Toledo and the week before Toledo had totally choked against Notre Dame so my dad this entire time I was on the phone with him and he was convinced that Bowling Green would absolutely choke this game away it would never happen and then they like picked off Minnesota in the final minutes and then punted it back to them and then had to pick them off again also in the final minutes in order to finally seal the game. It was like two interceptions in the final, like 130 of this game. It was ridiculous, but it was so fun. I had such a great time watching that game. And obviously Kansas, Texas, I was like at my friend's birthday party, like sitting on the floor watching Kansas, Texas on my phone. I think texting you and then texting my other friend Patrick watching this game. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. And then like when Kansas finally completed the two point conversion, I screamed and everyone thought that I was actually insane. They were like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, guys, this is a big moment. It was so funny, but it was crazy. But those are probably the two best ones. Um, I like like how you went to sicko games instead of like actually good games. I I think there were some good games too. The Red River shootout was also great, but I was watching the Michigan-Michigan State game at the same time. So I feel like it kind of took away from it. And then I had such a bad experience watching that one. So it like really dampened my excitement. But if I had just been focused, also Arkansas Ole Miss, I think was happening that same time also. Like those were three really good games all happening at the exact same time which I feel like took away from the lesser of all three of them individually because you were trying to like watch all three and you were missing things. But those, that was like the best, I think, that was, of college that football. Was, that was the single best Saturday of the year. That was the Penn State-Iowa game and then um, Alabama A&M. Mm-hmm. That, was the, that was the single best Saturday of the college football calendar. Absolutely. Yeah, that was really good. 
I mean, Penn State, Iowa, I feel like was re- was going to be really good, and then Sean Clifford lost the ability to like he had to get out of the game, and then that other backup quarterback seemed like he had never played football ever in his life previously. <laughs> I felt so bad for moment. that kid. Like, that kid, that kid had I no business being on the field. Like, I don't know why he was there, but neither did he. They tried their best. <laughs> they tried their best, but that would have been great. But that was a, a fantastic college football Saturday. The, a, the A&M-Alabama game was amazing. That is one of my favorite feelings in the world is when Alabama is on the ropes during the regular season and then everybody is just on Twitter joking, every wait, just w- waiting for Burn. the intending. Yeah, what were the, you doing? Let's talk worry. about it. Oh, the, the Iron Bowl was amazing too. That was an um, I'm so sad, college. But Auburn totally choked. Yes, ah. yes, they did. Yes. Ryan Hartson was not ready. Ryan Hartson was not ready for the SEC. He was not ready for. If the not Mountain. for that, I mean, we probably would have gotten Notre Dame in the playoff or something, and like that really wouldn't have been that good. But it would have been fun to watch Georgia bully Notre Dame on the line of scrimmage. That would have been fun. Yes. And that's one of the the. Things and we would have gotten I, another Kyle Hamilton game. Yes. Yes. Oh, King. Yeah. You're probably going to end up with him on the Jets, and you'll be happy. So manifesting. I'm very sad. College football's over, Gabrielle. I don't know what I'm going to do with my free time. I I, I might have to go. Uh, at least we have the NFL for. I need to month. get another hobby. I need to get another hobby. Yeah, Watching college Islanders... football is like the only thing that I do. The Islanders haven't played in weeks. What are yes. they doing? Does hockey even exist? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I just watched the Rangers get outshot forty to like twenty against the Kings. So that my team is fake good, so it's fine. We're we're a paper tiger. It's fun. We need to find other hobbies, but football's the best. Football football's the I'll best. just start standing the Florida Panthers or something. Like they're fun. They're that's gonna be how it goes. I don't know why. I just I love a good loser team. That's Most the of the thing. teams I root for the most. That's why it's satisfying. As someone who roots for three teams that are national embarrassments. We love a good loser team. Hey, man, my, my football team's not a clown show, though. My coach said it. We're not a clown show. No. And now it's he's going to have control over who the new GM is, or he wants to, at least. So. Insane. Absolutely. Even though he shouldn't have a job at all. But Nope. He was it. the only other team that wanted Joe Judge to be their head coach were the Mississippi State Bulldogs. That's who the New York Giants were in competition with for their head coach. And they said, we got we got to have him. He's the special teams coordinator on for the Patriots. We got to have him. Got to have him. And their special teams aren't that good. Their special teams are horrendous. They take so many penalties on kick catch interference, on roughing the kicker, just easy. I, I can't do the Giants again. I did two Giants episodes last week. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't tough scene it's a tough scene the nfl is rough it's uh, rough we got robbed of justin herbert in the playoffs we're gonna have to watch big ben the corpse of big ben against the chiefs nobody wants to watch big ben in the playoffs after the tie didn't happen chris collinsworth was like trying to justify like everybody loves big ben like this is america's opportunity i was like who who uh, yeah football. who has been waiting to see this man throw like two yard check downs and like try to just feed the ball to Najee harris like poor Najee harris this is man. not what we're asking for i do not need to see chase claypool do a tiktok dance on the field like please okay i'm gonna get you out of here but on the note of ben roethlisberger so for everybody listening 
go search Ben Roethlisberger on Twitter and see if you're blocked by him. He's got filters auto-based on who you're following, and if you follow somebody he has blocked, he automatically blocks you. So there are not a lot of people out there on Twitter who aren't blocked by Ben Roethlisberger. So that's your challenge for... Yeah. Go go find out. Go find out, Gabby. See. Because I am. I am most definitely blocked by Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know who I follow. No, not me. Oh, wow. Look at you. I'm okay. surprised I got out scot-free from that one. Yeah, that, that's a weird As a Ben Roethlisberger hater. I think everybody hates Ben Roethlisberger aside from Steeler fans who have a very weird, like, why does everybody dislike Ben Roethlisberger thing going on? Like, Dude, it's okay. someone that I follow, like a freshman at Northwestern tweeted, like, why does everybody, I, I'll never understand why Ben Roethlisberger gets as much hate as he does. That's and then like everyone was like, are you serious right now? That, that person is what, 18 he years got old? And then he deleted the tweet. That person's what, 18 years 18? old? They're 18. They were like seven when the allegations happened. Okay, maybe they don't know. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They were like six or seven no, years old. But he knew. That's the thing. He was like, well, why does everybody criticize them but not anybody else? I was like, that's not the takeaway. Like, I mean, they're very much a vocal part of the internet that's like, yeah, these are bad people. And then they're like, yeah, but I'd still take Deshaun Watson on my team. Fo- football Twitter's bad. Football Twitter's bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. All right. We've been going on and on. Thank you so much for coming on, Gabby. It's always fun to bullshit. Oh, of course. Of course. Come on. Plug your niche, your niche internet celebrity self. I'm definitely not a niche internet celebrity, but you should definitely follow me on Twitter because I at least try to be funny about 100% of the time. And I feel like I succeed at least 40% of the time. So Gab L. Carroll, two R's, two L's. It's a good time. It's a good time. I also cover the Northwestern basketball team, and they are a clown show in and of themselves. So if you're looking for an absolute disaster class in closing out games, playing basketball in general, like I promise you, this is what you're looking for. So I will say your Islander tweets always make me laugh, like genuinely like like covering my mouth laughing because they're so like on the nose perfect it's like i really got to watch Dano chara play hockey tonight and like that just hits me a certain way and it's so bad it's so bad there are people in like not to say that the people in the athletic comments are like actually delusional but like some of them definitely are like and not to say that i don't want the team to succeed in order to prove them wrong because they are so fucking ridiculous but like part of me definitely does and part of me also wants rod lambert on the team so very fair all right we will be back tomorrow we will probably talk hockey i gotta see if who i want to have come on tomorrow is actually free or not i never actually confirmed that trying to nail people down to actually talk to them is hard so bear with me i will see you guys tomorrow i hope you guys enjoyed today's show